Hey. hey How's dude. it going, Jedi? How are we doing? Fine and you, Ben. Um, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm doing all right. Cool, man. So yesterday you messaged me on Discord and you're like, so when are we streaming again, bro? When are we streaming? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, when are we streaming? And it's, yeah, I think it was obviously due. There's obviously been quite a bit that's been going on. Um, yeah. And this is actually... This is the first time I've actually done a stream solo. Normally, I've got Grant with me, so I'm kind of like. Normally, I have Grant with me too. Yeah. So <laughs> he's our he's time. our he's our safety he's blanket. Like, yeah, totally, dude. So um, let's see if we can make it work. I'm sure we will. We don't. I mean, just for for the viewers and the listeners, we don't have anything planned. Uh, we just decided let's nah. let's just chat about um, you know what's happening. I think. From a macro perspective, I think obviously you've got quite a lot that you you've been having on your mind, and yeah, let's let's take it away. Uh, do you want to share screen now, or do you want to share about something we before? Can, um, I we can just chat for a little bit, and then I'll I'll pull up the screens. But like, um, so this last week, I mean, we can just kind of go over some of the stuff that's happened in the crypto and and macro world. Obviously, you had the uh, the Solana uh issues where um it was the slope wallet had uh basically been transmitting everybody's seed phrases and uh yeah that's that's absolutely wild um so i mean uh it it seems to have hit mostly smaller wallets but that makes sense because uh i don't think most people with with you know millions of dollars are going to be trusting it to some random uh slope wallet uh i had never even heard of slope wallet until the other day so we did a we did a market update this morning just kind of looking at that uh myself dan and uh and blockmates and grants and we were just we just actually noted like who the the core investors were with slope and i was actually quite shocked i mean it's you know it's who's who in crypto are involved with slope so it's not like a bunch of randoms you know you've got alameda there you've got uh jump there's a whole lot of guys that that are involved in it so you know obviously nothing a, <laughs> nothing well, bad I has mean, ever happened to jump get jump uh jump what is it jump capital jump jump nah. capital i think yeah i mean it's just been really yeah. like um yeah, it's been a shit show, and I think it's, you know, yeah. like we said this morning, it's like, you know, with Solana, it's five steps forward and, you know, two, three steps back. And it's it's really unfortunate because I'm not anti-Solana. I'm not, I mean, you know my stance on things. I don't believe that there's one there's one road to Nirvana, you know. There's, 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 everyone's got a role to play. I think Solana's intention was always to, you know, kind of like fulfill the financial aspect you know the the trad fire thing i mean there's amazing projects that are happening on solana and i think it's just really unfortunate that that this is happening you know i don't mm -hmm. you know a lot of guys get a lot of satisfaction around you know projects and ecosystems that fail um i don't see solana bullshitting people you know what i mean it's not like you know there's a lot that can be said for cardano and just all the the vapor that's that's gone on around that um you know, I know I am contradicting myself a little bit here, but you know, what have they really contributed to the space? I don't know of anything that's that's significant, you know. Whereas Solana's yep. been around for, you know, what a little over a year and they I think they've done more. Sure, they've done a lot of bad things have happened, but, but you know they've, 
they've also done a lot to push the envelope of like bringing this stuff to the mainstream. Like they just opened the Solana store this week, which if you haven't seen the pictures of it, it looks like an Apple store, but like kind of displaying, <clears throat> um, you know, NFTs and various things. And they're, I think they're going to use that to sell their Solana phone. And um, I think, I think there's also something to be said for having a phone that is made with interfacing with crypto in mind because like as somebody who has used their iPhone before to do crypto things, like it's not a great experience. Like in general, I, every time I, yeah. I try it, I'm like, uh, I'm going to go do this on the computer. This is too slow, too clunky. Um, the, the browser within the, the MetaMask and on, uh, uh, <clears throat> on the iPhone is just trash. Yes. And, <laughs> and, uh, I haven't done anything mobile on Solana, but, uh, you know. So, so the Solana experience from a mobile perspective is definitely a lot easier than the MetaMask experience. Um, I've done both. I haven't been able to get a transaction to go through on MetaMask and an iPhone with ease. It's it's actually really difficult. Um, you've got to use Chrome. You've got to like do it in, in the correct order. It's a pain in the ass. And I mean, it's it comes back to, you know, how how do we kind of like bridge the divide between, you know, using a laptop and a PC versus a mobile. And I think there's, you know, the, the projects that, in my opinion, are the ones that are actually going to do really well going forward are the ones that that are considering mobile above PC and, and laptop. And I think that, I mean, for me, that's that's like, it's horrific because I'm a, I'm a big PC and laptop user. Um, you know, I run multiple screens, you know, sometimes six at a time. And, and it's not because I'm a shit hot trader. I'm, I'm a terrible trader for the record. I'm terrible, terrible, really, really <clears throat> bad. So that's not what I do, you know, but I, I do a lot of stuff. You know, we're writing articles. We, you know, we're watching charts. We, we're doing a whole lot of stuff that requires that kind of stuff. And to be able to, to do, you know, like fundamental transactions in the blockchain on the mobile phone is just so foreign to me. But if you look at what Change Finance are doing, have you actually seen what Change Finance are doing? I haven't looked into that one, no. I I, I know it's like C-H-A-I-N-G, that one. E, yeah, that's the one. Or, so that's yeah. the one. So we had we had DJ on our show uh, last week, no, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the CEO of Change. I mean, these guys are just way ahead of the curve, in my opinion, even though they're not, you know, they're way ahead of the curve in terms of where crypto is. But in terms of where, you know, the general consensus around transacting on the internet with a mobile phone. So look at the Chinese context of things. China, people do everything on their mobile phones. DJ was saying that there's no consideration around laptops and, and PCs in terms of getting things done. You know, you pay for your stuff on a phone, and I think we already do that. But when it comes to crypto, we, we've, we've got this idea that we've got to use our laptops and our PCs, whereas, you know, the Chinese context is your mobile phone goes with you everywhere. Therefore, you need to be able to do all the things that you need to do on your mobile phone. And they've yeah. built this app. Dude, this thing is insane. I mean, you can do cross-chain trading, swapping, and you don't even know you're going cross-chain. That's how seamless it is, you know? And I think there's... I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think people that are developing stuff right now, they need to pay attention because that's where it's going. I don't know if you saw up only this last week, 
uh, but Zuko was talking about the the fact that <clears throat> in the future we're not gonna know what blockchain we're on. You're just yeah. gonna like it, as long as the experience is good, it, you're it's it's gonna be completely opaque to the the user what chain you're actually functioning on. As long as it works, you won't care, and it'll all be all about the interface, all about um, just the user experience. And the user experience in crypto is not where it needs to be for it to be the, you know, the actual financial system that everyone is relying on. I mean, aside from, you know, people's wallets just randomly getting drained, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's also not ideal for a, uh, you know, prime time financial system but <clears throat> i mean nobody said building this stuff out was going to be easy though yeah and that and that's 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 the thing it's like <clears throat> you see all these haters on on twitter that the people that are just always against crypto and stuff like that they they go see look this is why this is stupid and why you shouldn't do it but like i think the optimists out there such as myself uh believe that what is being built is important and that just because it's difficult to do it in a way where people aren't getting hacked to the tune of millions of dollars every week uh, doesn't mean it's not worth doing because the ability to have all this stuff in a, you know, decentralized permissionless uh system is worth all of that i mean yeah. it and, and there's going to be some a lot of lessons learned and honestly i think while there are there's all sorts of like other chains and stuff being built and i'm all about the multi-chain uh i don't think that there's necessarily one chain that's going to rule them all however <clears throat> i think it's hard to overestimate the advantage that the EVM has over these other chain, uh, these other chains, and um, because if you, I mean, just from the the purely like experience of writing in Solidity, like it, you take all those those man hours of of hacks and failures and. I mean, you have all that experience to draw upon in in Solidity. I mean, there's a certain amount of Lindy just to the fact that there have been so there's been so much development on the EVM that we have learned of what not to do. Largely, I mean, it it cost you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of hacks, probably billions actually at this point. But I mean, it's. It's it's a lot for another like um, chain to try to overcome, especially some of these ones that are using other uh, languages like Starknet or um, you know Algorand or I mean even Solana. Solana relies on Rust, so like there's <clears throat> you don't have the code base that you have that you can draw upon for development, and so yeah. if you're if you're choosing to develop. Uh, a new app it, i mean there's there's 
definite advantage to doing it in an EVM compatible chain because you can just copy paste stuff. Mm. That so what is so what so what do you reckon? I mean, in terms of, I think what's really important right now is that we're at a point where you know there's there's a lot happening in in the space. You know, like <clears throat> you know, just off the back of what it is that you just said now is that there's there's a ton going on. Like we went from. You know, we've been busy. You know, from a blockmates perspective, we've been busy. We've had a lot to 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 consider. There's been a lot of interest from from projects approaching us in terms of you know covering what it is that they're doing. And you know, we we obviously very discerning around what it is that we we spend all this time on. You know, if you go and do a research, so for example, like one of the the very successful articles that we wrote recently, and I'd say it's an expose around GMX, is that. You know, we took something that was fairly complicated and we turned it into something that was very digestible. And, and that's what Grant does really well, you know, and what, what he's empowered the team that we work with to take all this information and to distill it in such a way that it, it still, you know, captures the essence of the project. And, and so we get to see a lot of projects that, you know, that aren't great, that are really good and that are amazing. You know, I can't say in the last six months that I've seen many projects that are just garbage you know because the guys are actually forced to step up so we don't have this copy and paste scenario there's a lot of there's a lot of like innovation that's going on in the space and this morning we actually discussed you know like like liquidity provision seems to be for me right now the next big play you know for the future maybe maybe in a month's time maybe in six months time maybe in two years time but the next play i'm going down on record and i'm putting my hand up and saying guys that are doing liquidity provision cross-chain in the most efficient and the most cost-effective means <clears throat> possible are going to be the guys that are going to shoot the lights out and more importantly are going to land up being sustainable. So the point that I wanted to make around this thing is that we've gone from a very quiet scenario and things have gotten very busy despite the fact that you know we are of the opinion, well, I'm of the opinion that this is just a relief rally and we're going to have to revisit these lows again. That's my thesis. Um, there is a little bit of kind of like sideline bitterness that's in that, but at the same time, I think it does make sense. I hear that. You know, from a, so I wanted to <clears> kind <throat> of like, you know, just investigate like, you know, what's happened in the macro, the macro scene, you know, over the last 10 days or so. And, and how has that contributed to what it is that we're seeing in the crypto market at the moment? I mean, what, what is your opinion on that? I know it's quite a big question. So, so yeah. from a macro perspective, I think, so everybody, it, this all sort of this whole thing sort of pivoted right when the when the Fed announced their seventy five basis point hike, you know. But for whatever reason, the market interpreted that this seventy five basis point hike as being more dovish because they got rid of forward guidance, which means that they're not going <clears> to <throat> commit to anything in the future. Not that those commitments were ever worth a damn in the first place because they've gone back on them several times in the last few uh, months alone. But <clears throat> the, there, there's a few things going on in the background here, like in the euro dollar market. And we can actually uh, switch over to my, my screen. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let me, let me pull that up here. So I don't know if you can see. Let's see. Over on the right here. Let me pull this over. So these are all the, the euro dollar futures right here. And 
just teaching you how to fish a little bit here. Um, so these are all the ones for 2022. And what these tell you though, is so like, this is March, 2023, this is December, 2022. And what these tell you right here, this is the one that that's lower than all of these other ones. And what this is basically saying is that December, 2022 is basically when the Euro dollar market believes that rates will have peaked and it's showing like a terminal rate of like right around 3.8. So, <clears throat> you know, after that, it's, it's basically saying that, that things are going to turn around and start going the other way. And that. So is this, is this actually, gonna... I mean, excuse, so please excuse the the dumbass questions that are about to follow because um this is completely foreign to me this is the first time i've ever seen this and the question yeah. is is this almost like an indicator into the future of what the market expectation is is that what this is it is i mean it's it's really a culmination of a lot of things because like i've sort of explained this before but like the the euro like because banks overseas don't have um here actually we can uh switch back to my camera oh actually you know you can see my face all right we're good um but because banks overseas don't have the uh access to the fed they can't just get reserves from the fed every time they need money uh they can't borrow from the fed so what they have to do is they have to plan these things out ahead by securing dollar funding sometimes in the futures market. So like if I know I have a big uh, payment that I have to make, you know, three months into the future because, uh, you know, I have promised to pay, uh, you know, for some swap or whatever, like it doesn't matter why I need the money, but all these banks and non-banks overseas, they need access to dollars in order to keep their operations going. And so, um, this euro dollar market is basically where people buy futures to, to help protect their ability to get those dollars. And so there's hedging and stuff that happens. And like, it's a very deep and liquid market with a lot of players doing a lot of different things. And so what these things aren't necessarily able to predict the future per se however they do um tend to um reflect the like if you go back and look look at like the december actually no let's let's go back e even further so here is the chart for um <clears throat> let's see actually uh, I mean I that chart it. looks that chart looks like a proper shitcoin, doesn't it? I mean, that's well, that's e five. Look at the again. look at the scale we're on, though. You gotta keep that in mind yeah, too. But like, as you can see, let's see. Actually, let's go. Let's go. Let's take a look at the five year. All right. So like, back in February, they were showing like you know one and a half. Actually, this is probably not a good one to do. Let's do the Let's do the June one because these are going to go back further because the, the monthly ones don't go back far enough. But um, so 
<clears throat> you can see right around the time all your shit coins uh, ate it uh, back in October 2021, <laughs> this chart started showing, uh-oh, we aren't going to have low rates forever. Because like you can see it was pretty much pegged at like 0% interest rates <laughs> right here because you're at 99.8. So that's 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 basically 0.2% yeah. interest rates yeah. that it's mm -hmm. but and then right there it's like oh shit this has turned into a casino the fed's gonna have to reel this in and then, <laughs> and you know it starts falling off a cliff a little bit and then you know you get to the end of december and it and starts that's falling full, off that's a full bungee jump right there right and then it just but it just keeps going as like the mm -hmm. rate hike stuff so like this was predicting the rate hikes before the rate hikes actually happened because, you know, it, people were starting to hedge for that stuff. Um, and like, so we've kind of hit like a little bit of a bottom here starting in, in like April, we hit a little bit of a bottom and it's starting to kind of like maybe turn around. And so a lot of people are looking at that going like, I think the Fed may not be able to raise rates anymore. And that I think that's that's part of where this this narrative has come from. Now, the, the futures markets aren't perfect. You know, they don't uh, they will sometimes uh, come to realizations um, a little, you know, but I don't know. It, it, they're not perfect, but they're better than just about anything else out there. And so that is sort of the bullish, um, that is where the bullish narrative comes from. It comes from the fact that you have these like, and the treasury markets are doing the same thing. Actually, let, let's, pull, let's pull that up and we'll, we'll take a look at the, the uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that as well. So this is a really good indicator in terms of, you know, what's transpired over the last 12 months. I mean, it, it really does show well, especially from December anyways, you know, from 0.2 to 1.5. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I see that. So look, June 13th, that was like right when this big, like big rally kind of started here is the 30 year or the, wait, this is the 10 year. The 10 year has just been like going down in yield. And it's important to remember that in bonds, when the yield goes down, the price is going up. Yes. So <clears throat> when the market, which again, U.S. Treasury market is huge. It is absolutely huge. It is like the deepest, most liquid market in the world. And these yields are going down despite the fact that the Fed is raising rates. And so that, that's the market kind of saying like, look, this isn't going to be sustainable this whole rate raising and they will end up going back on on their word <laughs> it, at least that's where people are putting their money at the moment yeah um now i've i've heard a couple bond people that are like you know normally i would listen to the market but uh when it comes to this <laughs> so i i think if you're looking for for the bull case the bull case is that the Fed is going to end up pivoting 
they don't really have a say in this. They're not really in control. Um, <clears throat> they can raise the front end of the curve all they want, which is this stuff over here. Like they can raise these things all they want and it's not gonna change what happens out here. These are just gonna continue to um, invert deeper and deeper, which is not good for the economy. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, that, that, is, that is the bull case right there, that, that the Fed has lost control. Now, the, the bear case here <laughs> is that you've had <clears throat> 12, 13 years, basically since the global financial crisis, and you could actually probably even take it back further than that, since the um, market has had to really deal with, with higher interest rates. I mean, we've been, um, the global financial crisis is, is a good line to draw though, because we've basically had low inflation and low interest rates for 13 years. So there's also a bit of like, how much has the market been Pavlov's dogged into, uh, you know, the sense that, oh, things are getting bad. The Fed's going to just turn on the money faucet again. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's a lot of evidence that that's the case. Um, that, I, like, I, I think the Fed's hands are sort of tied here. Because if, if they go back uh, without inflation rolling over, um, and actually, let me uh, pull up the nowcast. Give me a second. I'll pull that up. So let's see. I can share this. Hold on. Share. Actually, I don't know how to share that one. I guess I'll have to pull when it up. Is on the, when is the next meeting? Uh, the next meeting is until September, technically, but there's also the um, there's also Jackson Hole. Uh, I don't remember oh. the I don't remember the dates for that. But if you pull it, if, let's see. So you can see here that the August CPI. This is from the Cleveland Fed's website, um, and it it'll give you kind of like these are like a little bit, um, instead of waiting for the monthly CPI numbers to come out, this is yeah. kind of a more instantaneous value. It's an estimate, but these are pretty close to accurate normally. So like, as you can see, there's like no evidence that, that the CPI is actually rolling over. Mm. <clears throat> and when, so when you say rolling, when you say rolling over, you mean dropping, right? Right. Yeah, and, the, and the thing is like, inflation is still a huge narrative it is still a huge narrative politically and the fed is a political organization whether they want yes. to admit it or not yeah. and so the way i see it until inflation is not the dominant narrative until unemployment is the dominant narrative the fed has to tighten Unless something breaks, and even so we're then... still on we're still <laughs> on the bear case, right? This is the big this is the bear scenario. That's you're still going through that now. Yes, right, right, yeah. This is yeah. this is sort of my, more my base case, which yes. sort of is. I mean, to some extent, is basically that the euro dollar market 
might not be right about what's going on here. Um, I don't want to say that it's definitely not right. So I, I, I'm not like 100% bearish, but the way I see it, the Fed has no room to move here until those inflation numbers roll over and start getting back down towards, you know, four, three, like once they're down there and unemployment is actually the problem, they are not going to have the ability to pivot. And so I think they might have to do some sort of shock and awe, shock and awe, like where they just, you know, sell off a bunch of treasuries or something into the market just to like really get it to heal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not making definitive uh, predictions here, but that's the way I see it, is that yeah. unless something breaks and then they have to just put that fire out, because that's basically all they're good for is putting out fires, um, <clears throat> until something breaks. And even then, it depends what breaks. Like, so my question, my, obviously my question is going to be what scenario of breakage is possible in this? Because at the moment you're speaking in hypothetical terms. I mean, that's what it sounds like. I know you're not, yeah. but it's so yeah, just yeah, in yeah. terms of understanding what is like almost like a, a worst case scenario of breakage. I mean, okay. what, what, so what could happen and what do we see from that? Here's another thing to look at uh, is this is the, this is the move index. Um, and as you can see, so let me explain what the move index is. It's basically like the VIX for bonds, if you know what the VIX is. It's, it's the volatility index for bonds. And if you look at this, we're basically at the levels we were right before the, the global financial crisis and right before uh, March 2020. You know, like, we're not in a good place right now. And the reason is, because the bond market has become pretty illiquid. And that's why when you look at the bond yields every day, they're trading like shit coins. And it's not good. Like that's, that's because this is supposed to be the deep liquid market that the entire world relies upon uh, for dollar funding. And energy costs are at, you know, very elevated levels. Oil prices have rolled over a little bit. And I think that also could be partially at play for why uh, we've had a little bit of this rally here. But I think long-term oil prices are uh, only going higher. Um, at least from, I'm not an expert in energy or by any means. And I should probably say this from the start. Well, I mean, but I'm just a LARP in all of these things. But no, but hang uh, on a second. I mean, there's this definitely there's evidence to support what it is that you know, unless there's other other dynamics at play here. But I think didn't uh, Buffett and 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 Co buy into an energy company, an oil energy company, to the tune of forty five billion dollars? I mean, this was when oil was was already like really high, and it's like, why are they buying into you know? this this yep. sector of the market you know so yep. i mean 
It's I'm I'm not LARPing now. I'm completely guessing. I mean, I'm beyond <laughs> LARPing, you know. But it's you know, and it's it's like why is that happening? And it's it, there is really you know obviously there's clearly two bears in the room right now, um, which is quite a foreign concept for me because I've always been you know I'm a half I'm a half full well half half full what well, you know half glass empty full well i don't look at things in an empty way you know it's kind of like what do i see i see it i always see the positive and it's very difficult to see what's positive about what's going on right now you know in light of inflation in light of you know all the stuff that's happening um you know you got a, you got a war you've got another one on the cook i'd love to get your thoughts i mean i know we're changing the subject now very drastically but obviously it it very much plays into the same theater that's currently underway and that is you know taiwan and china and, and and the dynamic that's going on there and it's almost like i get the feeling like that hasn't been priced in i mean what what are your thoughts around that you know from i a... i i agree that it hasn't been priced in and especially if you look at like equity markets and uh and crypto markets too like risk markets they tend to ignore the long tail event until it's like on top of their head. Like I remember, so back in like February of 2020, I, I had actually been following COVID since like December of 2020. Like I had been like, just kind of like, wow, this is weird. This seems like this is getting kind of out of control. And then like, it just kept getting worse and worse. And like early February, I like, I went to Costco and I bought all the shit. I spent like $3,000 in Costco. And oh, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, I, this thing's going to get out of control. I know it. And I actually like took my entire 401k to cash. Like literally the day the market peaked in, uh, in February. Um, but then I didn't get in in time to make that even, you know, back in a after yeah. the fall because I was, you know, stayed bearish too long. Uh, yeah. But the thing is that uh, I, I was just completely flabbergasted why equities were, were continuing to make new highs into the middle of February while they were staring down the barrel of a pandemic. Like, yeah. it was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> mm. Like, do, why is nobody pricing this risk in? And And I think part of it is just like, if you were always worried about the fat tail, like you would never be able to like actually invest in anything. Like uh, people that invest in risk assets are generally optimistic people, like because you have to be to make any money. So, you know, what I find really fascinating currently, like really, really fascinating is that, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, Big thinkers out there, like really good traders. Um, and I mean, obviously, this is the nature of markets, but you can see the the difference in the way that people are perceiving things and obviously the bets that they're placing around that where, you know, you'll get guys and you see them on Twitter and, you know, and they've got really solid explanations as to why they have got a bearish case and why they've got a bullish case. And it's like people that, you know, I've been following for many years that have proven themselves on both ends of the spectrum. And, and then I was thinking about this quite a, a lot in the last few days because I was trying to like understand, you know, where do I actually sit with this whole thing? Do I want to continue like being, you know, like bearish around, you know, the markets because everything's looking really positive. And this is 
and I and I acknowledge that it's potentially a trap. You know, you kind of like convince yourself that things are great, and then you go and you you throw a whole lot of ammo at something, and then next thing you know, you you know you you watch it go from ten to twenty to thirty percent down, and you're underwater. You know, and it's and 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 it's not a unique experience. Just by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we all experience it. We all know. Even the good traders. Don't take it from a shitty trader like me, but take it from the good traders. Well, they experienced the same thing. That's know? how they and got good, is they, they they experienced it and then they learned, you know. <laughs> so it's just interesting that we're in a situation right now where I don't remember the last time I've seen such a difference of opinion with so many clever people. Because normally, like, clever people kind of gravitate. No, 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 there's a trend reversal. Things are looking good, and everyone's kind of in agreement. Obviously, you get, you know, the, the, the odd man out. But now I'm seeing a definitive 50-50 split. And if the, I mean, obviously, that's what's happening because that's – we're ranging, right? And it's like – but I never really equated it on that level where you can see the behavior really, really, like, reflecting what's going on on the charts. It's, it's actually been really interesting to observe. Well – I don't like, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like, kind of like what I was uh, alluding to before, like since the global financial crisis, like market conditions haven't really been all that volatile. You know, you haven't had to contend with inflation. You haven't had to contend with high energy prices. You haven't had to contend like with uh, high interest rates. Like, none of these variables were moving. And so it was a little easier to be confident in your, in your, Hey, the fed's going to jump in. Okay. We get in, but like it, it's a little different now because everything is constantly moving. I really need to just buy the real trading view. God, this is annoying. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, like we don't, it's a bear uh, market, bro. We understand. You have uh, yeah. <laughs> I, Fine, I, I'll I, send you. I'll send you twenty dollars, bro. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll buy that. I'll, I was—I actually almost pushed the button on that the other day, and I just didn't. Um, but anyway, so, um, like, I think there's just so many variables moving right now that it's—it's it's really difficult to say. Like, because there are so many like geopolitical things moving, in addition to like all these like very key inputs for. Uh, market decisions that are that are all moving at once and if anyone is like super confident in where things are going to go at this point i i don't know that i would trust them <laughs> because yeah. it, it there's so many variables changing that it's it's almost impossible to know but all you can do is just keep an eye on the variables know what the variables are that are that are important key inputs like energy costs, like interest rates, currency, like these are the things that you need to be watching to make sure that you um, are able to kind of justify where things are currently going and know when like you're, you know, I've always thought that like the best way to, to trade macro is to have and not just macro really anything and anytime you're putting on like some trade that isn't based off of like the one minute chart or whatever <laughs> like you should have a thesis about why you think it's going to go up and then you should also um 
have an idea what the the goal or what the signposts you're going to see along the way are right like if if your thesis is accurate i'll see this and this and this and if yeah. those things are happening then your your thesis hasn't been invalidated mm. i mean it kind of comes down to the whole anytime you enter a trade you should have an exit strategy yes you know that, so, that is fundamental i mean if you're opening a trade if you're placing a bet and you don't have that strategy in place um, I mean, the rational investor course is like the, at the core of it. It's all about recording. If you're trading, you're recording what it is that you're experiencing and feeling at the time before you actually begin your day of trading. And it's it's such a foreign concept to so many people. I mean, I bet you if you go out there and you tell people, listen, are you actually recording what it is that you're doing? I'm willing to bet that probably 90% of people are like, no, I'm not. I'm kind of like... I'm doing my work, I'm doing the charts, I'm doing all of that crap. But are you actually aware of how you're feeling and how you're perceiving the markets on a personal and an emotional level? And people don't do that. And and it's part of that process where it's not just good enough to to have those benchmarks. Like, what am I seeing? What are the road signs? What is my exit strategy? It's like, how do you actually feel? How do you feel this morning, sir? Are yeah. you ready for this? You know, And it's like a lot of people... Probably most of the time aren't, and that's the reason why most people lose money when they trade. And especially, you know, if they're doing kind of like day trading, whatever the case is. I mean, that's just, I mean, I think there's better ways to make a living than trying to do that. You know, it's just crazy how people think it's going to be easy. I think it's easy in a bull market, but in a market like this now, you really got to know your stuff because it is pure PVP. You got to know where yep. you're at, how you're feeling, what's your strategy, what's your edge. You know, that's the reason why I'm not trading. I don't see any edge in this market for me because I don't have the skill set. I'm trying to learn. You know, that's yeah. why we bring you on the show, get perspective on what's going on. Um, you know, obviously the I think the the biggest the biggest like um I think talking point in the current market is obviously you know the the, the DXY and the US dollar currency index that you've got up at the moment. And I think that's been part and parcel. I suppose it's an indicator that people are exiting, you know, whatever they've got their money in and going straight into dollars. That's my understanding of it. Um, I mean, where do you see this going in terms of what this chart is saying from a pure technical analysis perspective? I mean, from a, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think about it uh, in a, in a technical perspective too much. I mean, I do look at the technicals, as you can see, I got some levels here that I, yes. you know, are, are sort of key, but like, um, I, and I do think the technicals are, are are slightly important, but like I think really the the thing to think about is like why do people want dollars, right? In general, like high energy costs, so high oil prices, high natural gas prices, those things are mostly traded in dollars, and so people need access to dollars around the world. Uh, people have lots of dollar-denominated debts and things, and they need dollars and the liquidity is sort of washing out of the market right now. And so those dollars are becoming more scarce. And when that happens um, and on, on top of that, the flows of money are moving back toward the U S because we have the highest interest rates of, of most of the central banks out there. Right. It's kind of like uh if you want to think about it in crypto terms, you know, it's like you've got 
one uh, protocol yielding 10% and the other one's yielding 5%, where does everybody move their, uh, where, move their coins to? It's the same stuff at play. Like if, if you have the ability to get higher interest rates in another part of the world, you will do that. Um, now, there's hedging and stuff that happens with all of that. And so some of that is negated. Uh, at least that's my understanding. Again, I, I just LARP in all of these things. Um, but because <laughs> um, you have to, <clears throat> anytime you put on a currency trade, unless you're speculating, uh, you typically hedge that sort of stuff by, um, you know, if you're going from euros to dollars, if the euro moves, you don't want to get screwed. You're looking for the free, uh, you're looking for the free money. But in the crypto space, it's a lot simpler because everybody just denominates in U.S. dollars, so you don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. Um, but um, I, I, it does drive flows when you've got. Um, higher interest rates in one part of the world than another. And mm -hmm. that puts pressure on interest rates as well. And so it's now the DXY is mostly, um, it is mostly like made up of the Euro and the yen. So both of those things, uh, as you can see here are, you know, off of their highs. <clears throat> Let's see, where's my Euro? There it is once again. There's the Euro, got a nice little uh, <laughs> consolidation going on, downward wedge action. I don't know if that whole thing will come to pass and then this will rock it off, but we'll see. Um, the European Union has some problems right now with uh, energy. I think the whole world right now is learning that we have underinvested in hydrocarbons because everybody wanted to pretend that, you know, batteries and windmills and solar panels would solve all of our energy needs. Uh, even though none of that stuff is really ready for prime time either. And so we thought, well, if we just starve oil and gas of funding, then we'll have to move on. Right. Yeah. And we're learning that it, doing so has put us at geopolitical risks uh, because Putin is taking full advantage of the fact that um, Germany has been completely reliant upon them for natural gas and you know, you've got other parts of the world, too, where um, <clears throat> Japan, for example, is highly reliant on uh, LNG, natural gas. And, like, it's... I, we, if you don't have energy independence, um, it, that's a risk. That is a geopolitical risk because you are now dependent on those around you. And if those around you start getting, you know, evil ideas about what they're going to do to you, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're, you're going to have a bad time. 
Yeah, I mean, like it's it's such an important talking point, and it's it's like if you look at South Africa, for example, where you know we've got plenty of sunshine here. I mean, the, the sun shines here probably three hundred days of the year, if not more. You know, so like we we we're blessed with sun sunshine. That we've had a government that you know like inherited this legacy from apartheid, who really didn't have the means or the understanding to to kind of plan ahead you know and it's it all comes into you know this 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 whole apartheid legacy and and with that you know came a whole lot of problems that were really very much energy related so now we're in a situation where i just received a notification on my phone which you know they don't have enough power for the country so they have like these rolling they're called load shedding so they'll like mm -hmm. switch a power off for four day, for four hours yes so they, that they can provision power elsewhere <laughs> on the grid and and it's it's insane, but that's that's the reality. And it's not just South Africa. It's just now it's something that we're going to be seeing all around the world. I mean, obviously, if you go to a place like Nigeria, for example, you know they've they they've been doing it since probably the early nineties because you know they never invested in infrastructure. It was always about you know what is what can we do with our money today as opposed to our money you know for the next twenty years. And that's that's the rude awakening, right? It's not just about you know, making sure that you have power today is how do I provision, to, like you said, they haven't made, they didn't make the plan. They didn't actually look at the future. And one of the best things from a personal perspective, I mean, I had a, a bit of cash in 2019. Um, I'm sorry to say that it wasn't crypto related, but I, I made, I had, I made some. How dare you? And, yeah, yeah. How dare you, you know? And, but, um, and, and I had a choice. Was I going to buy a new motor vehicle or was I going to actually buy solar for the house? And it was a very similar cost. Listen, I paid a lot of money for the solar in this house, but I got a full pretty much off-grid setup, paid very good money for it. And dude, let me tell you something right now. In my opinion, in terms of investing in something in my life, it's probably been one of the best investments ever because... I can stream. I can stream when I need to. I can be online when I need to. I can cook a meal when I need to. I can take a shower when I need to. And I know that's that's really selfish and it's really like self-absorbed. That's, that's bro, not selfish. When you, don't have, when you don't have electricity and you don't have warmth for your home, that's the shit that counts. Yeah, Nothing and else. and this is actually an area I can do more than just LARP in. Uh, <laughs> having worked in the energy industry, um, so. When you have energy sources like solar and wind, like, I mean, what you're doing, yours is like more like distribution level. Like yes. I, I'm feeding my loads yes. and that's, that, that works out great for you. Um, but like when you do that on like a transmission level, like solar and wind are intermittent and like not everywhere in the world is really meant for solar. Uh, because like yeah, there's charts out there. Uh, Peter Zine actually has a really good chart uh, on on this. Um, I'm not going to try to look it up right now because it'd probably take me a while to find it. But basically, looking at like the the places where solar is actually like a net carbon uh, positive versus like w where is it like actually good for the environment to have solar. And you're in one of the places where it's actually good for solar. Um, but from a transmission perspective, anytime you're having uh, intermittent power sources, you can't rely on those for base load.
because yeah. on your hottest days of the year, you know what wind power is doing? It ain't doing jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> the wind ain't blowing. That's why it's so hot. And what happens is like you need to have other sources of power there to pick up the slack. And the problem is that the wind power actually, they basically just, they provide a lot of power when you don't actually need it. And then when you do actually need it, they're not there. And so the, all they do is basically just drive like down the profits of the, the, of the generators that are actually the ones you rely on day to day. And so if you have too much wind power relative to the amount of uh, and or intermittent power in general, relative to the power, the num the amount of base load that you have capacity wise, then you end up in these situations where um, just the way the, the, the markets are basically designed, unless you have some way of uh, actually compensating that base load power, you are making your uh, transmission system less um, more. You're making it more susceptible to um, issues where with stability, and so it's it's a difficult thing because you want to have like a good generation mix with these renewable sources like wind and solar because you want to try to limit your your carbon. But at the same time, if you have too much of them, like Texas, uh, and you rely too heavily on that wind power on the days where it's gone, if anything goes wrong with your other generators, you're absolutely hosed. And if, if you've driven those, those other generators out of business by, by undercutting them on cheap electricity that uh, a lot of times these wind, wind producers are able to, because of the subsidies, they're actually able to generate at a negative price point <laughs> because they're getting subsidized so they can still profitably generate when the the lmps are negative and uh so you create some sort of per perverse incentives that that hurt your your stability and yeah. it it creates like it, it's going to create some real problems all this reliance on intermittent power and well, clearly, think... clearly it has, dude. I mean, if you look at, you know, Germany was hailed as one of the darlings of alternative energy in terms of solar, particularly, and, you know, the incentives that they set up. But, you know, back, I, I'm not sure, you know, what the, the, the background is around, you know, the whole thing. But now we've discovered that that was never enough. And that was just a story that was being told, because if it wasn't a story that was being told to make it look good, then why has it become this issue that they're now so reliant on obviously this gas power from 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 Russia? Well, they were always there. Even their electrical system, if, if I recall correctly, they were always importing a lot of the nuclear energy from France. Like the whole time that they were LARPing about, like, oh, look at us, we're 100% green. Yes, they were actually just importing whatever their deficits were from France, who has tons of nuclear power. And yeah. nuclear power is awesome because it's base load it doesn't move it's on all the time i mean you can't bring it up and down as easily as uh some of the other things that's what like natural gas and stuff are good for those are good for like rounding out the top of the load curve but like it's uh 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there was always talk, you know, like when I was growing up, there was always talk that we one day going to reach. And I think it will still happen. You know, it'll be kind of like the war for water. But now it looks like it's becoming more than just a war for energy. It's kind of, it's gone beyond. It's not just about war. It's, you know, we're, it's about basic survival. And it, it comes back to my story now that I think about it is that, you know, like you really do, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it, it really plays into that. And, you know, having enough energy so that you can run the stuff that you need to run. We live in this modern power demanding world with, you know, these, these very complicated lifestyles that are very much centered around energy. And it's like, this is the war for energy, right? And it's it's yeah. so crazy, but and it's such an obvious thing, but no one actually saw it coming. Even the 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 wealthiest and the freaking, you know, the most intelligent didn't see that this was going to land up being this major issue. And if they were, they weren't loud enough, you know, to communicate it. I think it's, I think one of the most insidious evils that nobody really thinks about is just malinvestment. And the problem with keeping interest rates at 0% for as long as some of these countries have, like, and, and it, a lot of this comes down to demographics as far as like why these interest rates are being kept so low. Like if you look at Japan and um, even privilege, the US bro. too. It's called but, privilege, you know, without sounding like some kind of political freaking evangelist. It's like, it's privilege. It's kind of like, let's protect what it is that we have at all costs. Yeah, but the thing is, like, they're doing it at a cost, and they don't realize they're incurring the well, cost. Off, after the fact. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, when you keep interest rates at 0%, nobody yeah. invests in the, you know, the oil field that's going to make them a marginal 3% or whatever, they want to go for the home run. So they they buy Uber and they buy all these things that like are either going to be a hundred X or zero. Or they buy, you know, shit coins. Yeah. <laughs> that Absolutely. like I, yeah. I mean it, it you basically turn the whole market into a speculative casino where people aren't investing in the things that drive like consistent, like good returns, but not great returns. Like and when you don't invest in those things, eventually all this malinvestment adds up and then you can't sustain the population that you have. And, and I think that's why the demographics are rolling over somewhat is because yeah. we aren't doing enough to maintain the, the, the amount of people that we have because we're investing in dumb shit <laughs> because the, the, the way the incentive structure lines up with these sort of manipulated uh, financial systems, like it, it just lines things up in a way that is not ideal. And, you know, I, I, I think until we, I, I think it's a good thing that, that we're raising rates right now. I just don't know how long it'll stay that way. And I think that you're starting to see people realize, oh, hey, you know, bear market got, uh, got uh, interest rates are higher now. I need to actually invest in something that's going to give me guaranteed returns. Um, and Uranium. Uranium, bro. Uranium. 
I think that's probably a great play. I don't own any uranium, but uranium uh, is the uranium miners and the uranium index is actually something that I've been following for a while. Um, yeah. It's probably one of the more intelligent investments that I've made, but it's it's just it's obvious, right? In light of what that's we've a, just discussed, yeah, yeah, that's obvious. a macro. That is absolutely a macro level uh, investment because you're looking at the fact that like, look, there's no options that aren't nuclear. If you want to decarbonize and have reliable power, there's nothing else. There is yeah. nothing else that is available. That is in terms option. of the demand. I mean, on a personal level, as we've discussed <laughs> as well, it can fulfill a whole lot of needs. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've lived it. It's been amazing. But, you know, you want to smelt a whole lot of steel and aluminium for your industry you need proper power to do that you're not going to get it mm -hmm. you know from, on tap get, from, yeah you're not going to be able to to run a steel mill off solar mm -hmm. you need way too much reactive power to make that viable yeah. <laughs> totally. uh, so um okay so i want to i want to call it here i think we've obviously we've we've chatted yeah. on a number of topics um, <laughs> yeah we have yeah um, i think Obviously, you know, this is something that we're going to be doing a lot of in the future. I, I enjoy it. I've learned a ton. Um, I mean, what do you, what do you, what are we seeing in general? I mean, in a quick summary, like in terms of what's going to happen over the next week or so. I mean, your feelings? the next week, uh, who knows? I mean, I think, I think that we might just kind of, if I had to guess, I'd, I'd say, I don't think we're going to roll over just yet. I think things are kind of, hanging out uh for a little bit like especially like in, in let me pull up the ETH chart real quick uh there we go ETH's having a bit of a pullback the market's actually pulling back at the moment um a little bit i i yeah. don't think it's ready to just fall off a cliff just yet if it's going to but <clears throat> it's definitely hit this little resistance area I mean, remember our last stream where we were talking about the 1705, 1710 range? Yeah. I mean, it pretty much got right up to that resistance area. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, a lot of stuff changed hands up there. And, and then it's just kind of fallen off a bit since then. But if you look at some of these like moving averages and stuff, it's not looking great. It's hitting a lot of the stuff from the bottom. So, um, you know, I th I think we could see see a, a, a another pullback, um, but I don't know that in the next week it'll fall off a cliff. But I think you could see it fall off a cliff here at at some point and at least retest this uh, you know thirteen eighty one level here. But I don't know. Um, <laughs> I if I knew which way it was going to go. I'd... it's nice to kind of make make a bit of a call yeah i i simply have absolutely no clue what's going on right now you know it's like for me it's definitely <clears throat> no man's land it's 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 a big question mark for me i'm i'm kind of like i said i'm on the sidelines and i'm watching with with fascination as to what's going on um and i prefer it that way because i don't have an edge and it also gives me an opportunity to 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 pass impartial commentary where I can see both sides. I can see where there's like the guys are saying, you know, it's a possible bottom, it's 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 ranging here. 
we've, it looks like it's consolidating quite a bit. And I can see why that, that narrative is there. And then I look at the bearish narrative and the bearish narrative is also very strong. It's like, you know, there's strong headwinds that are negative in the, in the greater financial sector. You know, we've got this, this fundamental problem with, you know, the Fed and interest rates. And I can see that side of it as well. Which one yeah. do I choose? I mean, if, if you put a gun to my head, I would choose that we need to revisit those lows. Um, but I'd much rather just remain impartial and see how it plays out. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the, you know, the, the, the shit coin, the shit coins and what they're doing, like these freaking crazy, you know, like increases. It's just been amazing to watch and it's all good, you know, whilst yeah. we grind away at building this thing and, and writing and putting out content, um, the lunatics and the DJs will throw money at things and we can write about it. <laughs> it's all good nice very cool, good dude. yeah well um uh i think we should you know keep these going so um absolutely we will and thank you for coming on and thank you for your time it's appreciated yeah. and um yeah i look forward to many more to come and yeah dude it's been good all right Later, thank man. you thank you very much and thanks everyone for watching please like and subscribe remember this is not financial advice we absolutely have no idea what we're talking about we're just None shooting the breeze take it easy <laughs>